Good afternoon, I'm so glad you can join us today. And even though we are separate from each other physically, we can still be together spiritually. And as Jovan mentioned in the sermon this morning, uh, we can all still be assembled uh, and we can be one and we can learn from God's word. So we are in our final lesson uh, from the book of Second Peter. And we are looking and continuing the theme of in light of knowing God and our King again, uh, talking about this relationship that we have. And because of that relationship we have with God, with King Jesus, um, with that relationship, we can grow. Um, we can uh, understand judgment. There are concepts that we can completely understand that are radically different from the world that we live in. And so it's still true even with our lesson in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we're talking about, of course, the subject of the end of times. So there's a question that I want us to dive into, or really is going to be the centerpiece, if you would, for our discussion this afternoon. And that question actually comes from 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, which is, what sort of people ought you to be? So Peter uh, proposes this question, what sort of people are we to be in light of the end of time? So that's what's going to connect back to what kind of people are you and I going to be in spite of the end of times? So let's talk about this for a moment as we're looking at our board and looking at some of our points. So there are three areas that we want to talk about um, in looking at these verses from chapter 3. And again, this is all pointing to the end of times in light of our relationship with God and Jesus. And it points back to what our relationship is. It's how we ought to be. And so let's look at this. And again, we're, we're talking about when we're looking at this idea of who we ought to be. We're talking about identity. Uh, we're, what is our makeup? What is our DNA? We're talking about purpose. What is the purpose for the kingdom, the church, you and I? And then we're talking about direction. Where should we be going? And so with that, with that question uh, given to us in this uh, chapter, we can appreciate and understand the end of times. Now, there is knowledge uh, of the end of times, and, and that's really coming from verses 1 through 4. And the idea here is that there is a natural curiosity, if you would, to the end of times. And, and we don't necessarily um, have or need to look into Scripture to understand that. I mean, we can see it around us. How many movies do you know uh, that talk about the end of times or what we would imagine the end of times to be? And Hollywood glamorizes it and, and makes it such a uh, something that it's just simply not. I think of the movie 2012, and it was a good movie uh, for entertainment purposes, but it doesn't adequately uh, give us a direct picture of really what the end of times is, but people are naturally curious about this concept. And I think when we look at the people who are mocking that very idea, they're curious as well because they wouldn't have posed the question, uh, and we'll discuss that in just a second here. Um, so there's a natural curiosity about the end of times, but here's the thing. 
the church was taught on this subject. The church was taught on this subject. Look at verse, look at verse number one. Um, Peter says this, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you. Beloved, in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So this is a concept that the church had already been taught by Peter, by Paul, by the other apostles. They would have already understood this understanding of the end of times and what that's going to look like. And so they should be well versed on this subject. But Peter, by way of remembrance, wants to stir them up again, to look forward to this time. And that sounds weird, and I'll explain that in a little while. But they, he's stirring them up to looking forward to the end of times. But the other reality is there are going to be people that mock our understanding of the end of times. Look at verse number four. They will say, these these. Um, People who are coming in, in verse number three, who are scoffers, who are stirring up trouble within the congregation, uh, people who are uh, indirectly or directly connected with the body, they're going to come in and they're going to say this. Where is the promise of his coming? Talking about Jesus' return. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So you have these people who are part of the body who are mocking the idea of the promise of God, the promise that Jesus is going to return one day and that this end of time will take place. You see, these are people who don't believe in God. These are people who even said everything goes as the creation has taken place. But they just don't believe in the resurrection. And that was a problem during that time. Even the Apostle Paul would have to address this very issue of that the resurrection did happen. And it is going to happen even for you and I because of Jesus. But people are going to mock. And even those who aren't in the body, who are outside of the body, um, mock us even today. How many people do you know that don't believe that, again, they believe in a 2012 version of the end of time, right? They, they believe that, uh, you know, once the end of times come, basically you become uh, nothing. It just, you just cease to exist, right? So you have this completely different view of the end of times by the world, and people will mock us for it. And they mocked even the church during their time. And they even mocked us today. So there is a knowledge out there of the end of times. And the church should already be well versed. But Paul, but Peter is going to encourage them, stir them up. Because they should be looking forward to the end of times. So there's a second thing that we see from these passages. And that is that we learn some facts about God. We learn some things, some concrete evidences about God. And that's found in verses 5 through 6 and verses 8 through 9. And the first thing that we see from 5 through 6 is the power of God's word. And Peter would explain that through the word of God, 
the world was created. Going all the way back to Genesis, the world was created through the words of God. He's that powerful that he can speak things into existence. But here's the other side of this, and Peter brings this out as well. Just, by, just like with one word he can create the world, he can also destroy it in a like manner. And he did that during the days of Noah. You remember, he sent a flood, right? That uh, rain that came from the sky and even a, a beneath the earth. And destroyed the very earth that was there, right? Creating to the earth that we know today. And so that was just the power of God through word that he was able to create and to destroy. And so we learn how powerful God is from this passage. And that's going to connect us to the acts of the end of time in just a moment. So we learn God is very powerful. But then we also learn that he is also the creator of time and that he also exists out of the realm of time. We learn that from verse number eight. One day uh, for God, one day is a thousand days. A thousand days is one day. He exists outside of time, so therefore he had to create it. And again, that's going to be important when talking about the end of time. So we learn that God created time, but then we also learn about God's character. I, I want you to see this. Look at verse number 9 of chapter 3, because this is so important. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Even though God is going to be responsible for the end of time, he still wants to rescue us from destruction. He still wants to rescue us. His character, even though he is just, he is also gracious. He is also has mercy. And so he was long-suffering, and still is today, and wants to save us from his final judgment upon the wicked. He wants to save us from that. And so we learn God wants salvation for us. We learn that God is very powerful, creating the world, creating time. And so this all goes back to the knowledge of what they should have known about the end of time that Peter's reminding them of. And again, people are still going to mock. But just because people mock it doesn't mean it's any less true. This gets to point three. The facts of the end of time. That's found in verses 7 and 10. The fact is God will be the one to end time. He's the one that created time. He's the one that created the world. Therefore, he has the ability to end it all. And he makes a promise and says he will end it all. It will all be done. The earth and the ways of life as we know it. But then we also learn this, and this goes to all these conspiracy theories and all these people who are claiming to know when the end of time is. 
Guess what? Paul, or excuse me, I don't keep wanting to say Paul. Peter, rather, says, you will not know when the end of time comes. There is no evidence. There is no, uh, there is no sign. There is nothing for you to fully know that the end of time is near. There is a group of people out there, especially now, and it's been going out during all of the world's worst times in our existence. And today is no different, right? We are in an epidemic of grand proportions, if you would, uh, compared to a lot of other things that we've been through. And there are people even now who are not only saying that the end is near, but they're also using scripture to say that this epidemic right now is key or is a sign that the end of time is coming. Church, brethren, friends, the Bible is clear. We don't know. We don't know. I'll suggest to you that, yes, the signs that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24, they're generic. We are in the end of times in the sense of that we are after the cross. And so it can happen any day. But we don't know for certain what day that's going to be. Think about this. If we really knew what day it was going to happen, don't you think every preacher in America and around the world would be standing, would, would have some sign that say, in the time happening, May 5th, 2020, get into the water now, right? I mean, we would be scrambling, trying to baptize every person that we could. We would, it would be chaos. But the fact of the matter is we don't know. And that's why preachers across the world are preaching every day Get ready now. Get ready now. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we don't know when it's coming. That's why we have to be prepared for when that is. As Peter points out, it's going to happen like a thief in the night. Paul says the same exact words. We're not going to know. Just like a thief that comes into our house at night, we're just not going to know. But then we also learn about this, too, the fact that the end of times, that judgment will be completed at that point. Meaning you can't, if you're wicked, you can't cross over the righteousness. And if you're righteous, you can't cross over, <clears throat> excuse me, to wickedness. God's judgment is going to be completed. And you won't be able to change it. There is nothing you'll be able to do. And so going back to the concept of judgment as we looked at chapter 2. Keep in mind, God makes the judgment calls. God makes the judgment calls. Therefore, if you are righteous, he will save you. If you are wicked, he will destroy you. And so on that moment, the judgment will be completed and neither side will be able to cross over. So these are the facts of the end of time. So let's connect all of this. What are these connections? That's basically verses 11 through the rest of the chapter. Verse 11 through 18. And here again we go back to the key idea. Or back to the key question. What sort of people ought you and I to be? In light of knowing the end of time. What kind of people are we going to be? What's our identity? What's our purpose? What's our direction? He answers that. 
and basically brings everything that we've been talking about together, wrapped in one package. And he talks about that we need to be people of holiness and godliness. That's verse 11. We need to be people of holiness and godliness. Those are the type of people we ought to be. Well, what does that look like? Well, he explains in verse number 14 through 18, he explains this. It's people without spot or blemish. It's people who are wrapped up or drenched with the blood of Jesus. And therefore, God can see them and he sees no spot. He sees no blemish. Even if the world sees our spots and blemishes, God does not. And his judgment is what counts, not the world's. There are people without spot and blemish. And I'm going to say these two points right here together because it's so important. Also, we are people who are, who are holy and godless. We are people who are at peace. And we are looking forward to the end of time. And that sounds completely crazy if your idea of the end of time is 2012. People who are holy and godly, we're looking forward to God's judgment. Because he's going to declare us righteous before his sight. So we can have peace. And it doesn't matter whether or not we know when he's coming because we're always ready. We're at peace and we're looking forward to the day he comes back. Why? Because when that happens, there will be nothing but righteousness left. When that happens, the new place that we're going to, the new heaven and the new earth is where righteousness dwells. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day. And you should too, if you find yourself in a relationship with God and our King. We look forward and we are at peace with the end of time. And then lastly, in verse number 17, we are people who do not lose sight of the mission. We are going to stay in line with Jesus, stay in line with God, not through perfection, but through loyalty, we're going to stay with him until the end of time. And we won't lose out on the mission. But like he had pointed out in chapter 2, there were some people during that time who once knew God and his promises, but then disconnected themselves from God. And so Peter's warning them, don't lose sight of everything that I've shared with you. Don't lose sight of the things that I'm bringing in remembrance to you. Don't lose sight of those things. We should be looking forward to that time. So what's the conclusion? Verse 18 is the conclusion. Grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. Grow in the grace of knowledge of Christ. Through Christ, we have grace, and only through him can we obtain grace. But then a relationship with Christ equals being with him at the end of times. So as we're concluding this entire book, we need to be growing in faith. We need to accept God's judgment, and we need to look forward 
to the end of times. Why? Because we have a relationship with God and our King. I hope this book has been encouraging to you. These last three sermons or lessons have been encouraging to you. And I hope that we don't lose sight of knowing our God and our King. God bless you. We'll see you next time.